Welcome to the Sports Pro Podcast with Sports Pro Editor Owen Connolly, getting inside the sports industry and recording it on audio. Hi everyone and welcome to another Sports Pro Podcast. Joining me once again is Sports Pro Deputy and Digital Editor Adam Nelson. Hi Adam. Good morning. And back with us is uh, Press Association's Chief Sports Reporter. We're delighted to have Matt Slater. Hi, Matt. Hello, everyone. Hello, Owen. Hello, Adam. Right, so we are, we're just down the road from a hotel that is uh, seeing quite a lot of activity here in Tower Hill. Um, lots of, what colour would we call it, purple and fluorescent yellow lanyards doing the rounds, lots of buses, some of which have have come in from as far away as, as Bath University to ferry the world's elite athletes from, uh, from the centre of town out to the London Stadium in Stratford. It's probably the biggest global event in sport this year. It's the World Athletics Championships um, back in the Olympic Park after five years of, uh, of legacy and memories. Matt Slater, you've been, you've been down in Stratford for a lot of the week with the IAAF. What's the mood going into this uh, into this event, do you think? Uh, that's, that's, that's a really interesting question. I, I've actually been in the cavernous barn that is the XL for the last two days at their, at their Congress, and then prior to that they had some... Uh, the IAAF this has had their council meetings, they've been dotted around uh, hotels in, in Docklands, basically. Um, what's the mood? God, it's really hard to assess because... Um, I think there's probably a feeling that they're through the worst of it. You know, let's just, just recap a tiny bit here. This sport was in the toilet a year, two years ago. Uh, we need a whole another podcast to discuss the mess that uh, Coe's predecessor, Lamine Diak, and his gang of mafiosa goons uh, left this sport. Um, very closely combined with the uh, car crash that is Russian sports. So athletics have been in this just maelstrom of doping, bribery, vote rigging, you know, you name it, every single sin in the sports news handbook, um, the IAAF have been, you know, my, my favourite customer. I've just, you know, it's just, just remarkable. They've sort of almost outdone FIFA. It's neck and neck between the two of them. Now, look, Code, to his credit, I think, has steadied the ship. Uh, he has had some very rocky moments, particularly here in uh, the UK, where I think we've been hard on him. We've been, we've really held him to account because, you know, we have wondered how a lot of this stuff happened. He's been around, you know, he's been, um, you know, a, a part of some of these IAAF councils and committees for a long, long time. Um, you know, is he, is he just not very curious? Is he not very observant? I don't know. But anyway, so for the last year or so, he has he's knuckled down he has pushed for a lot of reforms, and yesterday we had an awful lot of kind of um, waffle from the Congress floor, you know, talking about amendments. He went on for hours, but he, but he's, he's he's getting there. He is he's dragging the sport, I think, into the 21st century. Yes, yes, um, and he's definitely done some good work on doping. So the, so the key one here, this is where they've been talking an awful lot about this week, is he has set up an athletics integrity unit. He has done what cycling's done in the past. He has, he has got the anti-doping job to a standard independent body. 
Now, they had been up and running now for a couple of months, got good people there. Uh, the chair of the panel of the board is David Howman, who was a wilder for a long, long time, New Zealand lawyer, absolutely first-rate guy. Uh, they've got a good young Australian, a lawyer called Brett Clothier, who set up the integrity unit, I think, in AFL, um, Australian Rugby League. You know, good people, they've got a good budget, and they're going to crack on with their own investigation. So some, that, that's really good to hear, and, you know, fair play to Co. he's got that through. He's also held the line on Russia, I think, realising they were in an existential hole because they were right in it. The, the, um, you know, the Russian scandal. The IWF took the brave stance that we've all talked about you know, in the past. They, they, they threw them out of the Rio Olympics. They have maintained that position. So we've had a lot of that this week. And probably the most interesting thing, I guess, of the last few days for me to report on has been the head of the Russian Athletics Federation, who remain banned, apologised yesterday to the IWF Congress. He said, I'm very sorry for all those athletes who had medals snatched from them. Now, that's the closest we've got to a full apology. And it, it I think, was... Uh, he's the, the most senior Russian to do it. And I think it's the closest to the kind of acknowledgement that, that the anti-doping community wants. And as soon as someone senior, more senior than him, I think, says sorry to WADA, Russia will be back. Because they'll reinstate Rosada, the Russian Anti-Doping Agency. That's one of the key criteria. The IWF will then, they, they, they're getting there. They'll be, they'll be reinstated. I'm, pre, I'm pretty sure we're going to see a Russian Olympic team at the Winter Olympics. So these things are, are, are going on in the background. So I think that makes the mood, to go back to your original question, pretty good. They're pleased to be here. The ticket sales are good. There's, there are all kinds of other issues out there but they're in a better space, better place than they were 18 months ago. So they're, they're, they're happy about that. I mean, just to pick up on the, the question of that apology, um, was, that, was that an apology on behalf of the Russian Athletics Federations for the actions of WADA, or was that an apology on behalf of the Russian Athletics Federations for the actions of its, uh, its government and its sporting authorities? That's a really good question, and he was speaking in Russian, so I, I was listening to it through translation. He started with it and, it, and it sounded to me like an apology from Russian athletics. Not wider Russian sport, because they're still denying, I think, the extent of the scandal. They've got a World Cup to run next year, and if uh, yeah. it turns out there's anything involved, you know, anything concrete that can be uh, levelled at the, the national football team, then, then they have a very big problem. Oh, too right. Look, they're, they're desperately, I think, now they've come to the... I think they've finally realised that, look, we have to own up to something. Let's see if we can contain it. There have been two wider investigations into athletics. It was athletics first, Richard Pound before Richard McLaren. Let's see if we can contain it to one sport. Let's fess up, because we've... I mean, the, the evidence is now. They can't, they can't say it's just Rodchenkov. They can't say it's just one guy with an axe to grind. We have mountains now of, of failed tests from the retests they've been doing uh, from the 2008-2012 Olympics and some world championships as well. So, look, let's just say we are sorry. Right, we're sorry. Please reinstate us. And he, he was very clever because then he did the, you know, the classic pivot halfway through and said, look, these are all the changes we've made. We're really sorry. The last regime were awful. They, there was resistance to me. Trust me, I'm really, really trying. Putin's on this now, and the Duma's going to pass legislation. It won't happen again. Oh, and by the way, uh, athletics in Russia is dying. You know, the kids are, the, the youngsters are playing different sports. Coaches are quitting. My revenues are down by 70%. Um, you know, big picture stuff about this sport's relevance. We were big players. 
right? We were big players and we're struggling. Please reinstate us. So that's the message that, that, that he finished on. Yeah, it was, it was interesting talking to um, Sir Philip Craven on, on this podcast a couple of weeks ago. And he mentioned that, you know, the fact that the Russian Paralympic organisation is banned means that there's only so much they can do kind of to, to maintain the links that they have in that country at, at the grassroots. Um, but more widely on the on the doping question, Adam, I guess this is something that we've talked about before, which is doping going from a simple pass-fail test process to something that's much bigger that involves political organisations, that involves political decisions on on a much wider basis. Yeah, and I was, I was actually going to turn the question back to Matt, and you've handed the mic over to me. Do you think it can be contained now, either for Russia or for athletics as a whole, or is, has the damage already been done to such an extent that it's going to take a decade or more to recover from this? It's not just a case of a Russian apology. I, I absolutely hope it takes more than a decade. I, I, I don't want this to brush this under the carpet. I don't believe for one minute it's contained in one sport. I think Russia will desperately try to, to argue this case, perhaps maybe give a little bit on the winter, winter sports as well, because we have an awful lot of proof there in terms of what happened at Sochi. But McLaren's report, for anyone that's bothered to read it, and I'm not going to suggest anyone goes out and reads it, but, you know, just, just maybe sort of, you know, flick, skim it, flick, read, some of the, read some of the good reports that fine journalists have written about it. It's, it's pretty, pretty devastating stuff. And I'll tell you what, actually, I've got a better, better idea. Today, Netflix have released the film Icarus. Now, Icarus is a, a film made by an American documentary maker. He started out wanting to do something completely different. He, he started out doing a kind of supersized me film about doping himself. You know, he was intrigued by what Lance Armstrong were doing, and he thought, I'm a good amateur cyclist. Let's just see if I take all of those drugs, if I can win a good amateur bike race. Now, by, by I'm not going to spoil the film, he, um, too much, he, um, he gets in contact with a Russian guy who's going to help him through this doping program to evade tests. That guy, Grigory Wachenkov. They, they struck up a Skype friendship. This guy's the, running the Moscow lab that is running the Russian state-sponsored doping program. Uh, in, the, in the course of their friendship... The filmmaker starts to read about this stuff. Um, Grigory, are you the same Grigory Ritchenkov who I keep reading about? Uh, yeah. Um, oh, by the way, uh, Brian, the filmmaker, uh, things are getting a bit tough for me here in Moscow. I think I might need to come to L.A. like right now. Sends him two tickets, gets him out of L.A. just in time, and then the rest is history. The rest is sports news history. We have everything we've learned, puts him in contact, da-da-da-da. Now, the film is remarkable. comes out today. I, I think if it, that film takes off, if it wins an Oscar, for example, it won, a, it won, a film at, uh, it won an award at Sundance, um, that could make things difficult for the IOC, who are clearly trying to engineer this to a... Look, you know, they got punished in Rio. They've been, emba they've been embarrassed, they've been shamed, they promised not to do it again, they've made these changes. Should we let them back in now? Icarus could make things complicated for them. I don't know, but it could. How much does another naturally occurring hormone come into this, which is endorphins? If we have a really great event here in London and Bolt is fantastic and Farah is fantastic and we have, you know, if it's, if it's Tiam or if it's some other rising star has a brilliant event, how much do the IAAF and the IOC and everybody else try and get behind those stories and just try and just push the casual fans... Um, 
attention away and, and just put as much clear blue water between the subject of doping and the subject of, of sport and as much distance between the front and back pages as they can. Oh, that is what every single delegate at the IWF Congress wants. And I think you're right, new stars. You know, we're, I think everyone's very concerned that athletics has ridden on Usain Bolt for a long time. This, this is it. This is, you know, this is his last championship. Mo Farah, you know, tonight he runs his last 10,000 metres. If, if at the end of this we're only talking about Usain Bolt, Mo Farah, that, that's going to be a problem for the IWF. They need your Wade Van Newkirks and some of these other people to, to do something remarkable. They need, they need us to be talking about more than Usain Bolt. Now, look... <clears throat> You know, there are 19 neutral Russian athletes here. They're going to win some medals. They might even break a world record uh, in the women's high jump. Um, so, you know, we're going to see some great performances, hopefully. We're going to see some decent Russian performances. Uh, we're certainly going to see big crowds. They've sold 700,000 tickets. They're going to have, I think, 50,000 for every session. I think the previous best was 400,000 tickets. They're going to get a big crowd out for the um, marathon and the walks and stuff. So they're talking about a million. A million will see this. Now, that's, that's fantastic in terms of the IWF's history, their World Championship history. They need this to go really, really well because next time, Doha. Nobody will be in Doha. Problems in two years' time. So they need this to go really, really, really well. Yeah, I mean, it just occurred to me uh, how prescient a choice of host venue London is given the just huge appetite for not just sports, but particularly athletics at the moment, um, somehow still there is that appetite. Um, and I'm not sure any other city in the world could have, could have conjured up 700,000 tickets for an athletics event at the moment. Yeah. Um, the fact that it has and the IOC, uh, sorry, the IWF can now point to that as evidence of the still popularity of athletics and the, the fact that there's still an audience is such a huge bonus for them, which they wouldn't have had probably anywhere else. Well, of course, it could have been Doha this time, with all the complications that would have arisen with their um, the, the, the political situation in the Gulf states, and and you know they're, they're a bit preoccupied, lumping 200 million euro on uh, on a footballer. But how much um, you know talking about Doha and talking about Eugene, how much, uh, which is the 2021 host, sorry, of course. How much is um, the governance story behind the IAAF at the moment? With that's, I suppose, it's an easier one to put a line under with a new president, however closely affiliated he naturally was with um, with the organisation as it was before. Is that an easier sell to say that that we've we've cleaned things up? We you can you can see the evidence of it here, or is that also going to be something where we're looking five, ten years down the line at? At how it's operating then? I think we should definitely carry on looking at it. I think it's, look, governance is a really tough story to sell to readers, to normal people. You know, I, I try writing about it, and, you know, God, you know, is my heart in it sometimes? No, not, not really. Um, to be fair, uh, Co realised one of the problems the IWF had was that it, everything became very concentrated in one man and one family, um, unchecked power. No transparency, no accountability, no one really knew, no one really checks what was going on. Horribly clandestine stuff. He is, he is, has he looked at best practice? I guess he has. Um, there appears to be talking about his term limits. Um, he's made the council 
more of a sort of kind of modern board, you know, driving policy, which I think then does, there's a flip side to that. You know, some of the Congress members are like, well, what are we here for? Are we just rubber stamping. I've seen this in other sports. The IOC are going through something quite similar as well with their executive board. And, um, but it does appear to be more streamlined, more dynamic. Um, look, the proof will be in the pudding in that, you know, Coe has taken on an awful lot of this personally. He's made it kind of his sort of mission to save athletics. Now, there is a little element of kind of messiah complex with him, and, and he, he can overstep himself when he, when he can be a bit arrogant. But is he better than Dieck? Yes. Has he, has, is he doing and saying the right things? Yes. Can he, can he point to something and say, that athletics integrity unit, do we agree that that's pretty much best practice in global sport right now? Yes. Are they a decent world championships? It looks like it. Let's hope so. Was he strong on Russia? Yes. Did that hurt him with the IOC? Yes. You know, so sometimes he can be an easy man to criticise because he is arrogant, but you have to look at his record and say, fair play. OK, that's a, a good note to end this first part of the London 2017 Sports Pro podcast on. Join us in just a couple of moments. to then of this London 2017 edition of the Sports Pro Podcast. It's a big week as we've been discussing for the IAAF, but it's also going to be a big week for one of their key partners. Japanese running brand ASICS became a major sponsor of World Athletics Governing Body in December after the early departure of Adidas. And this first big event for them is a significant opportunity to further burnish their credentials in the running community and also to properly establish themselves as a global sportswear player. Earlier this week, I was at the launch of ASIC's new flagship store in London's Regent Street, where I caught up with their chief executive for EMEA, Alistair Cameron. Tell us, Alistair, how important is um, the IAAF partnership to, to ASIC's? It's very important. <laughs> I mean, the world, the world is going to be looking at uh, London uh, from Friday for the next uh, 10 days. Um, and so, as a running brand... You know, the World Track and Field Championships is, is the heart of running. Um, and we like to think that we're part of a new uh, new era, a new time for the IAAF. Um, and SEBCO is committed to, to really uh, clean up the sport. And, and in a sense, I think assets coming at this, at this time um, is, is a good momentum to sort of uh, articulate the fact that things are changing um, and uh, you know obviously we're really happy to um, uh, kit out 6,000 volunteers along with the IPC which, which happened uh, um, last week, two weeks ago um, and you know we've got a lot of uh, customers coming from all over the world and you know ASICs will be uh, bigger than ever yeah, I mean you've, you've alluded to it a little bit there with kind of discussions of a new era but the, the opportunity obviously arose quite dramatically with uh, with the organisation what what was it that motivated ASICS to, to go for it and, and to, to sign up to that partnership? The the opportunity to be involved in in uh, world athletics at its highest level um, and to be the main sponsor leading up to uh, the Tokyo 2020 Olympics, which we're the gold partner for, and we're a Japanese brand, uh, Densu, a Japanese uh, agency who represent the IAAF. 
Um, so I think there were, you know, we, we will have been talking for many, many years, and just sometimes there are opportunities that you just have to take advantage of. You talk about that performance aspect, and it's noticeable that, that the campaign you've launched this week is about make, getting Londoners moving yeah. rather than about marquee athletes you might be attached to. Um, it's noticeable, and I don't want to keep bringing them up because I know about the history between the two companies, but it's noticeable that Nike's biggest campaign this year was about performance rather than about medals and rather than about um, you know sporting events in its, its Breaking 2 campaign. How, how lasting a trend is that towards performance towards active lifestyle in this sector um, rather than the endorsement and sponsorship avenue? I, th- I think, you know, the, the, the thing about marketing today, you, you've got to be marketing uh, on a number of different streams and channels and, you know, you, you don't talk about age profiles, you don't talk about demographics, you, you, you talk about... Um, different attitudes and and actually if we want to you know we, we we talk to our marathon runner at our marathons and we'll continue to do that and we'll continue to make the best product and we'll continue to have services through my Essics or runkeeper to to support them but actually if you want to go broader or connect with with millennials or or you want to uh, you know connect with what's going on uh, right now is we really are wired and we really are tired and if you look at Anna, Anna Sano and Corporo Sano sound mind in a sound body that's what we are all about but we've not been shouting about that and actually we've got this philosophy and this value as a business which is which is if you move you will feel the benefit so it's in our name, it's in our philosophy, it's in our values, it's what we've always done, but we've never talked about it. And, and I'm really excited that we're talking about getting London moving or getting the world moving or getting me moving because it will benefit uh, everyone. And, and our, our role, you know, we're not in cigarettes, we're not in alcohol, we're in sport. And, it, and it's not about uh, just um, the pinnacle athletes, but why wouldn't you work with them and we do uh, but I think it's it's the advertising and the tone of the advertising has got to be it's got to reach people who are wired and tired and and we've got to help them and if, if there's a legacy that we can bring then that's what we should do to that extent how far is it coming back round to the the connection that brands like Asics or, or Mexico were making with people back in the original running boom. I think boom it's absolutely the kind of there. I think it's absolutely uh, right at the beginning. I think everything goes full circle. And I think brands sometimes take a while to realise the what golden nuggets they have in the archives. And uh, and it's absolutely relevant. You know, we are, you know, you know, in some aspects, so if you take lifestyle, you know, we're, we're an insider brand. You know, we are... You're not following the pack by by wearing Asics, but there's a real coolness associated with not following the pack. And I think, you know, the the world will continue to uh, look more and more at Tokyo, particularly with the 2020 Olympics. There's a fascination uh, with that island and everything associated with that island. And we're a Japanese brand, but we were the only brand that wasn't talking about Japan. You know, every other brand has got Japanese collections, but we're the only one that is Japanese. And the, the whole all apparel collections you, you'll start to see from now on are, are from this totally cool team in Shibuya in Tokyo. And we, we, because of the Olympics, we were able to attract some top design talent who wanted 
with pride to design uh, for the Japanese uh, federations. And, and suddenly, hey presto, we've got a Japanese DNA, we've got a high-tech, uh, high-quality um, clothing that we've only ever dreamed about, and suddenly it's there. You know, so it's, it's all coming together, really. Um, just to bring it back to, to where we started, I mean, um, how conscious are you of the potential for for negative stories to drag down that association that you have with athletics and potentially going into into Tokyo 2020? And what, you know, what would your reaction to that be? I think um, a lot of work has been done in terms of. Um, Evidencing the independent testing, and you know, the, if if we are to believe uh, the the drive to clean up sports, then it has to start with independent testing. And and you know, I'm confident that that Sedco has got a real handle on it because he has to, you know, he has to clean up the sport, and they're they're taking a really tough line where athletes haven't been clean and and I think there's a massive expectation that 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 uh, journey continues um, you know and we you know I guess we will react um, and try and understand uh, you know as as situations arise in, in in you know in the future but we we hope that we're part of a new era and what about the conversations, I suppose it's a part of that new era, but what about the conversations around updating the delivery of athletics, updating uh, the way that people are able to watch it, updating the way to promote it, and, and all of those things that are happening um, under this co-administration? How much a part of that are you as, as a key partner of the IWF? Yeah, we're, we're not part of any of that. We're not part of any of that. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Finally, what would um, what would represent a, uh, a strong week for you here in London, and then how do you switch your thinking to, to going into those Tokyo Olympics? Ooh, a strong week. Uh, well, we have 180 journalists here tonight, so if we have 180 articles streamed live, uh, that would be uh, a sign of success. Um, no, I, I mean, uh, we, 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 we want to open at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. Uh, we want to uh, make our mark on the busiest uh, shopping street in, in the UK. Uh, we want to host uh, senior uh, retail leaders from across the globe um, here uh, and then take them to see an amazing um, uh, drug-free uh, um, IAAF championship. Yeah, that would be a success. And then Tokyo? Tokyo... Uh, I think Tokyo is uh, is so exciting because uh, you know we are going home and uh, you know we are Asics is a Japanese brand and and I think there is a, a humbleness uh, within Japan that struggles with with celebrating the fact that the Tokyo Olympics are in Japan but I think through it just as we saw uh, with the you know the World Cup in Germany uh, or what's going on in France at the moment, I think you you know you you'll see um, a nation that will be proud and and should be proud of, of what they've achieved, and and we're going to be you know uh, if you like showcasing 
classics and Japan and Tokyo Olympics at the same time. And I, I think it could just be the breakthrough for ASICs that, uh, that we all plan it to be. Thanks very much, Alistair. You're welcome. Very good questions. <laughs> Enjoying this Sports Pro podcast? Well, we're also the sports industry leader in print, digital and events. Head to sportspromedia.com for the latest features, news and interviews from the business of sport. Help yourself to a subscription to our acclaimed magazine and find out about our unmissable conferences before anyone else. Get inside the industry with Sports Pro. Welcome back to the Sports Pro podcast. So we, we heard from ASICS there, who are, of course, major sponsor now of, of the IAAF and, and attaching themselves, as, as naturally they would, as a running brand to, uh, to the world of athletics. But athletics is a sport that seems to be constantly in a, in a kind of state of self-reflection when it comes to its, its modern-day relevance and its, you know, how it can exist in, in a, a commercial landscape that's moved on without it. You've got... Uh, a sport that which, which we'll see in the next few days is as global as they come. Almost there, there are, you know, elite, elite athletes come out of almost every corner of the world, and yet, outside of these set piece occasions, it, it does struggle to to keep that connection going. Um, Adam Nelson, you got any any reflections really on on the place of athletics in in the modern sports industry? Um, well, as you know, I spoke earlier this week to uh, Niels DeVos from uh, the chief executive of UK Athletics and kind of asked him to, him to reflect on uh, the legacy of London 2012 um, and uh, kind of how this fits into that. Um, and he's very keen to not just look at this event as the kind of last hurrah of, um, of this, this chapter of athletics in the UK, but look forward to future bids for stuff like um, the Commonwealth Games in 2022, Liverpool and Birmingham. Um, and the, the Glasgow World Championships, European Championships, sorry, uh, in next year. And I think it, the, 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 the point is to um, maintain this focus on athletics, the, the positive stories that are coming out of it. And in the UK in particular, there is still somehow an appetite for it, um, despite all these negative stories, um, which, which continues to surprise me. Um, I'm not quite sure what the, the kind of where the branding fits into that then. Um, you mentioned uh, the, the deals that the um, uh, the IWF have been doing recently. I'm not quite sure why commercial brands are still clamouring to be uh, affiliated with that. Um, I don't know if you guys have got any thoughts. It seems seems to me like the kind of thing that you'd be desperate to avoid. So those kind of associations. Yeah, I mean, there's always it always brings profile. It always brings scale uh, if you're a sponsor. Um, but I think something is happening with athletics as a participation sport in in developed countries around the world and, and increasingly in, uh, in, in places like China and it's, it's to do with you know, mass participation events, it's to do with people's daily routines and, and aspirational um, elements, health and fitness and, um, you know, and lifestyle and, and all of that kind of thing. Um, what the IAAF I guess has to show is that it's a nimble enough organisation to, to keep pace with that. Um, not to do things in the kind of late 20th century way, which served it quite well in the 1980s, the era of Carl Lewis and, uh, and Powell and, and all of these guys, even up to kind of, you know, Michael Johnson's and, and so on. But it, it's quite a, a hollow approach these days. Um, yeah. I, know, I know what you mean. They, look, there are times when athletics 
and the IAAF and UK Athletics, all of them really, seem hopelessly old fashions, really old fashions. And then there are other times when I'm, and I think, wow, you know, you, you really have got a great story to tell here. I mean, I, I've, I've been to see some indoor athletics recently, and I sort of think this is a really, really good event. There's so much going on here. This is really fan-friendly. There's a lot of entertainment here. And then I'll go to an outdoor event, and it can just seem really slow. You know, the sight lines are tough. You can be on the wrong side of the stadium and see practically nothing if you, you know, if you like a long jump and you're on the wrong side or the high jump or whatever. The throwing events can be very slow. The pole, you know, I'm thinking... Jesus, someone can, can someone just get a, ha get a handle on this? I think you are going to have to maybe be radical and start thinking about changing your events. And I'm just sensing, I'm sensing now, I think for the first time, that that, that message is getting through. And a lot of it's being driven by the athletes. So I hear an awful lot, I see a lot on social media, and I know uh, people are now starting to talk about it. Um, you know, in North America, athletics, track and field, is, is, is practically irrelevant for everything apart from the Olympics. I mean, it's just, I don't, I'd be surprised if it's even a top 10 sport. You know, I don't know, I don't know how you'd measure that, really, but it, it just, it's just, just not, it's just not getting on ESPN Sports Centre or whatever the equivalent now is of, of relevance. Yeah. So, we're not there yet, but it is drifting a little bit in this country and, you know, other Western European countries. And yet, on the other side, you've got your point. Jogging and jogging-related stuff is probably cooler now than it has been for 20, 30 years. And I think a lot of that's to do with park run, apps, general fitness stuff. You know, my kids are into it, my wife's into it. it the basic principle of athleticism, and to be fair, Coe often talks about this, our sport is very simple, it is very global, it's cheap, you can do it anywhere. Let's tap into that. Let's tap into this idea of athleticism. So I, I think if someone was brave, and they're talking about there's, there was that nitro thing, there's been some interesting stuff in city centres, they're, 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 they're sort of dabbling with this. I'm waiting for the big bold move where we have, I don't know, sort of like a Hercules-style combined throwing event or you go wipeout, you know, you go, let's have relays, you know, kind of amazing challenges. Let's, let's, let's see elite athletes doing Krypton Factor style assault courses. That's basic athleticism. It's leaping, it's jumping, it's strength. You know, does, does, does the IWF want to embrace that? Does it want to sort of treat it over there? Is there a possible merging of parkour and athletics? You know, I, I, I don't know. Let's, let's have these conversations. And, you know, you, talk, you mentioned the ITN deal. Now, the, the story around that is... Yeah, when they come to the UK, they've got a host broadcast at the BBC. Yeah, it looks good. Some of these places they go to, it's not good. So they want that consistency of image, and they're talking a lot more about digital. I mean, I would have thought athletics is right up there towards the top of sports that should desperately be thinking about just sticking stuff on social. Just stick it on Twitter for nothing. Get some reach. Get some reach. Exactly the point that I was going to make, that it seems to me that athletics is the, almost the perfect sport for... Uh, what we're constantly told is how people now want to consume sports in short-form clips because you, you can watch uh, an entire uh, competition in, in reduced highlight form in, in a couple of minutes because each, each high jump, each long jump, each 100 metres sprint takes set a matter of seconds and the, the kind of feats of athleticism are so impressive that it is the kind of thing that you can comfortably watch on your phone quite quickly. And I absolutely agree. They need to seriously look at that as a method of getting that out there and bringing people back into the sport rather than expecting people to still sit down and watch Grandstand for three hours at a time as, they, as we used to in the 90s. Yeah, there, there is definitely an extent to which elite athletics is so tied to um, 
the format of a club athletics meeting. And as someone who went to club athletics meetings in my teens, I can tell you they are not exciting places to be. Um, there's there's a, a lot that can be done with it. I mean, the, the host broadcast deal with, with ITN is is going to be a big part of that. Um, but, you know, could it be rather than having Wade Van Niekerk and Andre de Grasse appearing, because it's not going to be Usain Bolt anymore, but rather than having them appear um, at Diamond League meetings, you have promotions, city centre promotions in that Nitro Athletic style or in the style of, of what Paris were doing to, to promote their uh, Olympic bid um, a few weeks ago where you have something against the city centre backdrop you make it a big promotion, you make it a, you know, an occasion in the way that really athletic struggles to be outside of the Olympics and, and the World Athletics Championships to a lesser extent. Yeah, sure answer to that, yes, absolutely. And that's what the athletes want. They are desperate for the sport to be bold and to you know, help them make some money what's the what's the reception of those kind of ideas like at, at the uh, the blazer level well now well, see this is this is where we get into the, the central difficulty because i think it's i think it'd be fair to say it's mixed i think there are some people who are perhaps maybe seeing their bottom line and going look guys we need to do something there are others that perhaps aren't seeing that because they their country situation is different uh, I think there are other people, because let's be honest, you know, most international federations, most national governing bodies of sport are made up of ex-sports people, you know, volunteers, people who've given their lives to it. You know, they can be personally invested in the way things were, so that can be quite tough. It can be quite tough to tell someone, I don't know, that won a gold medal 30, 40 years ago in the discus, that nobody watches discus and no one cares. That can be quite hard, you know, I get that. So, look, if the IWF and athletics wants to maintain this, I don't want to say a facade, but they want to maintain this narrative that the World Athletic Championships are the third biggest event in the world, which, of course, is patently nonsense, but if they want to be able to at least say that vaguely credibly, if they want to keep saying that they're the, most, they're the biggest sport of the Olympics, if they want to say that they are this, you know, glo truly global sport, you know, arguably more global even than football, they want to say these things... They've got to do something. You can't just keep carrying on doing the old way because everything's changing. Broadcast is changing. What we want is changing. The other sports aren't standing still. There are new sports we haven't even thought of yet. They're going to be big in 20 years. So they're going to have to do something. Um, do you think there's an extent to which it still relies too heavily on the individuals involved? Because I think one of the things that, that cycling learned from the Lance Armstrong debacle was that the sport has to be bigger than the individuals involved. So even though Chris Froome has just won, is his third, third consecutive Tour de France? Even in the UK, we, we're not seeing that much of him because I think the worry is you, you put all this on the individual to support the sport, and then you have the uh, sad outcome of that, which is a Lance Armstrong situation. Athletics is still very much pushing Bolt, Farah. It's, it's the, the kind of... Not just the old school, but the fact that it's it puts so much stock on them as individual athletes to promote the sport, rather than uh, putting the events themselves first and foremost. It's tough, isn't it? Because you have a sport that can create that level of star. I mean, Usain Bolt had a, a press conference for what 600 people or something uh, early, earlier this week in London. Similar thing last year in Rio, and people go, and you know, a lot of members of the press however professional this is, are, are as magnetised by his presence as, um, as everybody else is. I mean, to an extent, that's a, a huge 
credit to the sport that it can create those figures. It can create individual athletes who are global, uh, global personalities and really significant. And you know, it comes back to the the endorphins thing that we talked about in, in the first part with the reputation of athletics. Steve Cram got a little bit of stick when he said, you know, Usain Bolt may have saved his sport by beating Justin Gatlin, but ultimately these things do matter. Um, I guess it's about creating a platform for those those kind of people to flourish when they do come along, rather than just depending on them to to drag everything with them. Yeah, look, I think any sport risks. Uh, is, is, is making a big risk if it gets too closely attached to one person because nothing lasts forever, okay? But, you know, the NBA in the 80s and 90s repositions itself around this idea of Larry Bird versus Magic Johnson and it was very personality-driven. You know, you'd have these poster campaigns or the TV would always be, you know, I don't know, it could be Isaiah Thomas and Detroit Pistons are coming to town, Julius Irving. And so, so we've seen this before, how, how people, how fans... Do like personalities, you know. We get it with football now as well. Um, and Usain Bolt, I think, is perhaps unfair to kind of attack athletics for putting so much store in Usain Bolt because he is a magnetic personality. If you've got someone like him, you'd make a big deal out of it, wouldn't you? If you were lucky enough to have a Usain Bolt in your sport, of course you'd maximise that. They have a massive challenge now, though, because he's going. Um, I think the interesting point you, I like that that, that sort, of, sort of France point you were making there. What cycling has, and perhaps what athletics doesn't have, is cycling can can just say, we've got got iconic climbs, we've got an iconic race that is this unbelievable test of human endurance. It doesn't matter who the personalities are, because they, they come and go. The Tour de France is the story. Mont Ventoux is the story. Alpe d'Huez is the story. People love that. I mean, I love that. Now, if athletics could make, I don't know, the 800 metres this mystical, iconic event, the ultimate test of speed and strength, and really kind of get people inside what it is to win an 800 metres. That's, that, that's the sort of thing I think they should be trying to do. Yeah, and I mean, Eurosport did a thing um, earlier this week to promote their coverage of, of the World Championships, which was getting inside Usain Bolt's 100-metre record, where it was showing you some of the stuff that you'll hear Michael Johnson talk about to do with you know, angles of attacking the, the track and you know, um, efficiency of stride and all these kind of things. The, the information is all there. The, you know, the technology now is there to deliver it. And, and I suppose it is about, yeah, it's about making the, making the event bigger and, and then bringing it back around to what we've talked about with what people are interested in in their own performance um, when they're going for a run through the park or when they're, you know, maybe doing a, a marathon or a half marathon or a or whatever it may be. I think, sorry, to chip in there. I think the cycling comparison, again, is something that's, that's relevant in that uh, cycling has lent heavily on the mass participation side of things and the fact that people do it as a recreational event. Um, and athletics has not quite kept up in the same way. It hasn't quite realised the potential for branding itself as something that regular people do all the time and do every day. I think it's getting there and it's, and it's catching up. But even now, uh, a marathon is still... You know, it's, it's select few people can do a marathon. It's not, it's not something that everyone can get involved with. Um, and, and you mentioned the kind of park run things earlier. I think that is another way in which, if, if they want to get away from relying on individual stars to market the sport, 
looking at uh, something like um, uh, is it Sport England's um, This Girl Can campaign, things like that that just encourage everyone to get involved in athletics and see it as a universal sport that everyone can play. That's a, a much more relevant way of marketing something like athletics than going, look at this superhuman guy like Bolt who can do something that none of us will ever do. That's still valuable, but it's, it's probably more valuable for the sport now to focus on everyone else. Yeah, I mean, here's an idea for the IWF. The 5,000 metres, right? You market that as the ultimate park run. You say this is the park run final of the world. You have a series of park runs around the world that day, the day before, and you build up this massive like, global community they've got to say, go do your park, go do your 5,000 metres, right? Because this evening, the world's best park runners run. You create this sort of sense of occasion that everyone could be part of. It'd be a bit like, I don't know, you know, being able to play St Andrews the, the day before the, the, the Champions play. Right? You've had a go now, you shot 100, go watch some shoot 70. Now, look, I think there are people having these conversations, they're just not there yet. Not, not quite there. Well, there you go, Seb, if you're looking for a brains trust. Here we are. Um, but we better, we better call time on that for today. Um, but thank you very much to Adam Nelson. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. And thanks again to Matt Slater. Yeah, thank you, chaps. And let's hope it's a, a great week in London. Enjoy that. And bye-bye for now.